All right. Hello, everyone, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the e to the Breaking the Lines Liz Expert podcast. I'm your host, Louis, at Position East on Twitter. I'm joined by two French football experts, should we say, uh, joined by Jonathan Johnson at John Le Gossip. Can you introduce yourself? Hey there, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to hear. I've got uh, Mohamed Ali with me at Mohamed Ali underscore 93 with me. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks also for the invite. Just... All right. Well, it's great to have both of you. I'm, uh, I'm, quite, uh, I'm quite happy to have both of you with me today. Um, so considering the transfer window is one of the only things to talk about in you know these months uh, when it comes to football, and French football has suddenly sparked the interest of the world of football, uh, we'll be looking into that. So we're going to start off with the Champions Project at OM, which is their, put it this way, ambitious project to try and win the league. I think that's what the, the idea is behind it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the uh, that's the main idea to obviously get uh, Marseille back to, obviously, its uh, lofty position back in uh, French football. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a grand titled name, grand title project. Obviously, it remains to be seen whether sort of the reinforcements and the investment can match sort of the ambition. Well, I mean, uh, there's... All right, so, so just to kick it off, so far there's Germain signed from, from uh, Monaco recently. And uh, Gustavo signed, was it today or yesterday? Um, yeah, well, yeah, also very recently. And of course, and there was uh, there were some other signings in January after the uh, after they were after Marseille was bought out. I mean, what's next? What sort of player are this, is there going to be a step up in the level of players? Is it more sort of long term investment players? What do you think is coming next? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. There's about I think th minimum three to four signings left for. For Marseille to embark on uh, over the next uh, two months. Um, whether it's a long-term project, whether in terms of the, the signings, that remains to be seen. Obviously, the majority of the players that Marseille have signed are either in their very late 20s or pushing past their 30s. So it's difficult to see how, you know, sort of where the long-term thinking is. Only perhaps Morgan Sanson is the only example of strategic long-term thinking. Um, but, you know, it could... Like, like somebody said to me a couple of days ago, I think it's reminiscent of the way Marseille uh, stepped up in 2009-10 uh, when Didier Deschamps was at the helm. You know, they kind of skewed the youth um, policy when it came to the transfer window um, yeah. and instead signed a lot of, you know, players in their late 20s and 30s. And obviously that paid off. Obviously it was a bit detrimental to the club's finances, but it paid off immensely. Uh, the club won the title, obviously, in its first season there. So I think... You know, it might be obviously be a tall order for the same to happen again, but I think, you know, it's it's a tried and tested plan already. So I think for, for Marseille to get back into the Champions League is the main option. And obviously from then, we can start thinking of sort of a more long-term approach. Right. John, uh, do you have anything to add to that? No, I don't think so. I mean, there are obviously, um, you know, Marseille have uh, quite an illustrious history, one that they haven't really lived up to in the, you know, the best part of the last decade. So, you know, obviously the, uh, you know, the makings of, um, you know, a Marseille rebirth as a, as a giant of French football, you know, is, uh, is, is definitely possible with the right investment. Um, I, I have to be honest, I'm not convinced by the, the head of the, you know, or the, 
the person who was trusted with the reins at the very beginning of, of the, the Champions Project, Anthony Zubi Zareta, but, you know, plenty can also be said of, uh, you know, the likes of uh, PSG's sporting direction in the last um, couple of seasons. I just think that, you know, when you embark on an ambitious project like that, you need somebody who is uh, an absolute expert in their field, like PSG when they were taken over and they had somebody like Leonardo, you know, somebody with the, with the contacts to be able to bring in, uh, you know, the, the really big signings because there, there was a period where Marseille seemed to sort of be going Going through a you know their um, a list of the phone numbers of all of their ex players, like ringing up to see if they fancy coming back or not. Obviously, Pae has returned. Uh, you know, there's rumours as well that Mondonda might uh, might be coming back as well. But I think that um, Marseille sort of needs somebody who can think uh, outside of the box a little bit more. All right. Well, I mean, in terms of play, both of you do. Does anyone come like what sort of players come to mind, and what would be a good idea for them to go next? Attack, defence, midfield. Who's the ideal next recruit? I think it has to be defence, surely. I mean, yeah, I think defence and up front um, is, is obviously a pressing issue. Because, you know, when you look at the players that Mazi have lost last season and also the sort of the players currently on the roster as well. Um, you know, for me personally, I'd like, you know, a, a player that's preferably in their mid-20s already proven in Europe you know, could be in a in another major European league. Um, that is obviously affordable, sort of in the twenty million euro range. Um, but obviously, in defence, I think, yeah, you know, somebody that's definitely more agile and more mobile than the sort of defenders that we've got currently at the moment. Right. Okay. Well, that's. I guess. Well, I mean, Gustavo was this looked like a sort of you know statement of intent because uh, he is the highest played payer to Marseille, why I read just quite a lot. Uh, but still, uh, moving not, on. Not, then. Not, not really. There's not that no? many players at Marseille on big wages. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I meant as an as a state as a statement of intent. It's uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a big. Uh, it is it is a big name player. Players, um, you know, proven himself at a number of uh, big European clubs. Mm. And you know, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that it is a. It's, it's a. It's a good start to Marseille. Some. Right. All right. Well, um, since that's uh, sort of out of the way, I mean, it's it's still a project in building. We're only the sixth of July by now, fifth uh, of July. Sorry. Um, moving on to another club, Pirge. They they haven't had they haven't had such an exciting summer, just as much as Marseille have. There was this. There was the hype over the tweet. The tweets that were going out on the account, and it turned out to be an app, which was a bit disappointing. But um, there's still, you know, the links to Fabinho, which are very strong. Uh, the transfer that fell through for Pepe, who just signed for Besiktas, and uh, Mbappe, obviously, it's still sort of ongoing. And uh, Coutinho, I saw recently. Uh, John, who do you think is who's who's realistic and who's ideal? Uh, I think one person who is realistic and is also ideal is Fabinho because I think as much as uh, you know it's a boost for PSG to keep somebody like Motta for one more season because of his experience and what he sort of brings on the mental side of things uh, you know t uh, in terms of being a player I think he's sort of passed his uh, uh, best before date now for a couple of seasons and I think if you bring Fabinho into that midfield uh, and you take Matuidi out as well you know if you have a, a midfield that's made up of Fabinho, Verratti and Rabiot you know that PSG midfield is already way more dynamic than it's been in the last season or so and I think that's one of the real um, challenges that now faces Antero Enrique since he's taken over as sporting director he has to um, know which members of this old guard he can get rid of and which ones he has to keep 
Um, you know, it sort of seems like it's a bit of a, a trial by error for him at the moment because he came very close to losing Motta. Okay, Motta has uh, ended up um, renewing, and I think that that was for the best. But at the same time, he's also shown that he's not um, afraid to question, uh, you know, the value of some of these players to PSG's sporting project, uh, both, you know, on the pitch and off it. Uh, and I think ultimately he was convinced that Motta, you know, is somebody that, that the club should be keeping. And I agree with that mostly, though, for... Um, off the pitch reasons. So I think that, you know, replacing Motta is absolutely key this summer. And I think that PSG are right to be pursuing somebody like Fabinho. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, he's a Monaco player. Uh, you know, it's not great for Ligue 1's um, competitiveness, but at the same time, you know, Fabinho is a player that Monaco um, did agree, did have a gentleman's agreement with for, you know, a while ago now um, that he could leave this summer. You know, and I think that just because it's PSG that have come in for him and that they're trying to, you know, block it at all costs is... Uh, you know, a, a little uh, unfair on the player because it sounds like he's been um, convinced by the the project that PSG are trying to put together under Enrique. But at the same time, you know, I think that PSG's summer has uh, has actually started relatively well because I know that people, uh, you know, spend a lot of time on Twitter complaining that PSG haven't made a signing. But, you know, PSG have been lacking direction at the top of the club now for a long, long time. And the fact that they have somebody who knows what he's doing and is uh, moving things around behind the scenes before he makes a move on the transfer market, uh, you know, I think is actually a, a really positive thing and it's something that should be celebrated. But the way that modern footballers if your team's not splashing uh, vast amounts of cash uh, you know you're not really seen as a big club you could argue for a team like Berger um, lot, lots of people that I talk with say that uh, this summer there needs to be a marquee signing because that's what big clubs do in a way um, yeah, but is, is Fabinho not a marquee signing is Fabinho that that marquee signing or if he signed for Manchester United, people would be lauding it as the smartest piece of business done all summer by any club anywhere in the world. So yeah, if Man United <laughs> sign anyone, that's what they'll be described as. <laughs> nah, but, uh... yeah. yeah, it's true. I had the same about Damian a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, that was a. Uh... They did sign uh, Lindelof, and that was. I think that was actually underrated. Lindelof, that was a decent deal. I, I, to be honest, I would have quite liked to have seen him uh, come to PSG, sort of keep the. Keep, keep the Swedish flag flying there after Zlatan. He's, he's, a, he's a funny guy if you follow him uh, yeah, on social media. I saw that, which is not bad. Um, and also, I mean, talking about defenders, uh, Pepe, that fell through. Is that a sign of maybe a bit of weakness or is there still... No, no, no. What happened there is uh, PSG made an offer to Pepe. Pepe was not going to be a key player for PSG. He was going to have a one-year contract guaranteed and it was going to be an additional year after that. I mean, okay, financially, PSG's offer is always going to be more attractive than somebody like Besiktas is, but Besiktas mm. did make him a significant financial offer. And more crucially, they guaranteed him two years of contract and a key role in the in the starting eleven, and that's something the PSG couldn't guarantee. And to be perfectly honest, why should they? You know, why should Pepe immediately just walk in and be ahead of somebody like Marquinhos and uh, Presnel Kimpembe in the in the pecking order? You know, that would have been really unfair. And that again brings me back to the point that I made earlier about Antero Enrique coming in as sporting director. You know, it's great for. PSG to finally have somebody, uh, you know, calling the shots who, uh, you know, is actually going to look at some of these deals and say, wait, hold on a minute, you know, is this actually going to benefit us or not? You know, uh, is this a, a, a clever way to spend our money? And, I, you know, I think that that ultimately is what meant um, PSG didn't change their offer to Pepe, one that he agreed to before the Confederations Cup third place playoff. Uh, and, you know, that's ultimately why he's now ended up at Besiktas. 
All right, that makes sense. Uh, just before I continue, I just want to say, uh, Mohammed, you can also jump in uh, whenever you want. It's not a. I don't want yeah, to do I mean, like one side on my say one side yeah, on this. I, mean, I, I just wanted to ask John in terms of you know, Pepe, you know, you mentioned the streams of you know how to take it or leave it off, and it was sort of in the end, you know, if, if the players were going to be happy in terms of the sporting side, um, you know, in terms of the offer, really. Um, he's free to go elsewhere. But, you know, do you think in terms of the other defensive targets that PSG may be looking at some of that, Pepe is somebody that they might have, you know, let slip through the net? Because obviously, you know, PSG are light to the back. I think they've got three centre-backs um, as it stands, uh, Silva, Marquinhos and Kimpembe. Um, and obviously Pepe would obviously bring sort of, you know, that grit and that aggressiveness, you know, that would be obviously very welcomed for in French football, um, if he were to join, or if he was to join the uh, Paris Saint-Germain, so do you think it's one that slipped through the net, really? I think it's a shame that PSG didn't sign Pepe because I like the idea of having more uh, experience in the squad, uh, a winning mentality. Because I mean, to be perfectly honest, you look at what Pepe has won, uh, particularly since he joined Real Madrid, and you look at what all of uh, all of PSG's other um, players together have have won, and you know they're. The, the two records can kind of rival each other. You know, Pepe has won pretty much everything there is to win in the game. And, mm -hmm. you know, PSG dream of winning the Champions League. Well, this guy's done it multiple times. And, you know, I think Pepe is one of those players who, uh, I think when people look at him, uh, they they just assume, you know, that he is a brute. And he, he, is, he is a brute. But at the same time, uh, I think he was really underrated as a very important uh, leader within that Real Madrid squad. Uh, you know, and I think that, you know, he was probably second only to the likes of Sergio Ramos in terms of, you know, getting his teammates G'd up every match, you know, especially the big, big occasions. So, yeah, I do think that PSG have missed out a bit there. But at the same time, you can't deny that Pepe is a player who's had his struggles with injuries over the last couple of years, uh, you know, and is also quite reckless at times, you know. So if he comes in, uh, you know, as a massive um, global star, uh, to, to Ligue 1, you know, and, and his experience goes the same way as most other foreigners joining PSG have gone. You know, he's going to get very frustrated with Ligue 1 very quickly, unfairly so, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, chances are, you know, those yellow cards and red cards will rack up quite quickly. He'll spend a bit of time suspended. Uh, and also some of P some of the pitches in France are not the best. We've known the players have struggled with knee injuries many times in the past. Uh, you know, at PSG alone, you had the likes of David Luiz, Alex, you know, guys who would be um, left out of the squad for certain matches because the, the team, the club knew that if they took them and played them there, they would probably pick up a knee injury and wouldn't be available for, you know, big stretches of the season. Uh, but that said, I, you know, I think the moment, the most important thing for uh, PSG is to, you know, really um, build a, a stronger winning mentality within the squad. Uh, and it's only going to be by signing players like Pepe, you know, a proven winner, someone with tons of experience, uh, you know, that they're going to be able to do that. So ultimately, yeah, I do think PSG let this one slip through the net, but I can see why, because at the end of the day, Antero Enrique is determined to bring in, uh, you know, the best bang for his buck. And I'm not sure that Pepe, uh, you know, would have represented that even if he did bring in some things that are badly needed. Uh, off the pitch right well all right well if we if we're talking about bang for your buck and uh you mentioned earlier the whole idea of you know lots of clubs jumping really fast into the transfer window maybe the fact that clubs are jumping fast into the, into the transfer window and poaching a lot of players who were potential targets for Berge, not many yet but you know there are still many clubs linked to many of the players Berger also linked to 
there are many areas still to improve to PSG and who, you know, they, they need to make moves fast on certain players because they can't realistically challenge for, I mean, for the Champions League, let alone secure their top spots in Liga next season if they don't sort out their problems on the wings, they don't sort out their lack of defenders, um, you know, the, the recurring problems they have. Did, did PSG really lose Liga though because the squad wasn't strong enough to to hold off a Monaco title challenge? I, you know, I don't believe that. I think that, no, that was the mental. Yeah, that was the mental side at the start of the season. I'd agree on that. But I think that for the Champions League, there's having Lucas as your main winger. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. I agree with that. Champ- enough. Yeah, absolutely. But Champions League and Liga are two are two completely different things. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, <laughs> squad as it is at the moment is strong enough to win Liga as long as the mentality is right. However course there are holes in the PSG squad that do need filling and the other thing that you've got to bear in mind is Enrique's not met half of these players yet some of them still haven't come back from uh, you know their um, their off-season holidays uh, you know and he's got to meet them before and see them and find out what Emery thinks about them before he can try and move them on or you know explain to them the situation you know that their squad status might have changed uh, you know so he still has to chat with a, a large number of players and, uh, you know, uh, before he can start, you know, making some of these. I mean, yeah, PSG are linked with some uh, some players, so I'm sure that they have already started, uh, you know, to look into some, uh, you know, big marquee names, you know, the likes of Mbappe as well. PSG have already told Monaco that they're prepared to pay big in order to get him, uh, you know, and PSG do have uh, a budget of around 220 million euros to spend this summer. That's without sales. But if PSG are really to go big, strengthen a number of areas and bring in some very, uh, you know, convincing big signings to, to, to keep the likes of Verratti happy, uh, you know, they're, they're also going to have to sell some players for, for quite significant money. Well, that's a, that's a reassuring tone in a way. Uh, I guess we'll move on because that's a, that PSG chapter seems sort of close. I mean, I, I understand why a lot of PSG fans would be worried because they're not seeing very much activity from the outside. But if you look at things logically... Um, yeah, which, which I don't think happens very often. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you can actually see that there are things going on. You know, behind the scenes. You know, Enrique uh, has come in. He's assessing the squad already. Uh, he's making changes to certain members of staff. You know, PSG fans must be overjoyed that Letong has finally gone. That there's no Patrick Kluivert anymore. Uh, you know, that there's a proper, <laughs> there's a proper there's a proper recruitment chief in place now as well. You know, Maxwell's going to be assistant to Antero Enrique as uh, sporting director. You know, there are positive. Um, moves being made this summer by PSG they're just not very uh, you know heralded moves they're, this, they're things that are going on behind the scenes uh, I do think though now that uh, you know it's July players are back in training they're getting ready to go to the USA in a week or so you know PSG do have to start making some moves now all right. Um, well, speaking of I mean the sort of opposite there's there's there are teams that need to fill some holes and there are teams that are loosening up their holes which is Monaco I mean Monaco have suddenly They've, they've sent off a decent amount of players and um, Fabinho looks like he's on the door out and Mbappe seems closer and closer to the door out, even though that's sort of half-half. Um, mm. we, we've, we've learned as well that Monaco are a very good team at, at uh, replacing their key players. I mean, back after the World Cup, when they sold both Hamas Rodriguez and uh, Yannick Ferreira Carrasco, they still managed to rebuild and two, two seasons later win the league. So, aside from Tielemans and the the large amount of players and especially young players they have bought is there anyone big on the horizon for monaco is there anyone that they need more than anything else because there's lots of areas of the team that aren't exactly champions league material like they were last year um yeah no definitely there's a 
you know, they do require sort of a player or players um, of sort of the element's stature. Um, you know, players that are obviously very affordable uh, with huge potential. And I think sort of, you know, where in the next sort of 12 to 24 months, they will go for at least double the price. And I think that's what Monaco's strategies is. You know, you mentioned that they are sort of, they were successful back in 2014, uh, just after the World Cup. But I felt that the season afterwards, after they reached the Champions League quarterfinal, they kind of messed it up. They received a, a huge amount of money for, you know, likes of Carrasco and Abdenor and, and the rest and Condogbia. And then they messed it up by signing... The likes of you know Cavalera, Traore, and um, you know Guido Carrillo, who you know etc. And you know those sort of uh, sort of players, and that's sort of, you know they kind of you know ruined and they finished. They yeah. did finish, I think, was it second or third? But third? obviously, it was so far behind Paris Saint Germain, and obviously that season was just called a whitewash um, for everybody bar uh, the the champions. Um, sort of, yeah, it was it was incredibly disappointing. Hopefully, they would have learned the lessons. Um, of that summer, the summer of 2015. So, so far they've done, you know, pretty well. Um, the, the, the Dutch defender Congolo uh, seems to be a very, very interesting buy. Obviously, you have already Tielemans and, uh, and you know, a couple of other young players. Um, but I think, you know, you can't, you can't just have a sort of a youth-led policy. Um, you know, it, I think they would do very well, obviously, to keep Mbappe. I think that's almost a, a done deal this, this summer. But, you know, the likes, you know, what they're losing would be players with decent Champions League experience, uh, title winners, um, and very good young players with, uh, you know, at least two, three, perhaps four seasons at the highest level um, in Mendy, Fabinho and uh, Silva. So where do you get those players from? I think, players... I, th- I, th- I think what, what interests me most about Monaco this summer, and I think we're, we're kind of dancing around the topic here, is it's the first real test for Antonio Cordon as sporting director at Monaco. Because if you yeah. bear in mind, the, the last couple of rebuilds that Monaco have had, uh, you know, were all overseen uh, by Luis Campos, who's obviously at Lille now, which uh, makes, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Lille's transfer dealings as well this summer extremely interesting. But Cordon has not really uh, been given um, a proper test yet as sporting director, you know, because he came in, uh, you know, the squad was pretty much assembled. They were just, uh, you know, sort of coming to fruition. So he just had to add, you know, one or two um bits and pieces here and there. Uh, I have to say, you know, he's done very well so far in order to negotiate Falcao's wages down, extending his contract, giving them a bit more flexibility, enabling them to keep Jardim as well. Uh, You know, those are two um, good renewals, in my opinion. One, very experienced and now once again in-form player. Uh, and one, you know, one, uh, you know, one of the most in-demand, sought-after uh, coaches in European football at the moment. So I think that was two very shrewd moves uh, on Cordon's part. And yeah, there's been some encouraging business done so far. But I think that um, you know there are still going to be more departures to come um, at uh, Stade Louis II, and it's going to be interesting to see how Cordon handles that. You know, especially if it's you know a real um, big key name. You know, I mean, even even somebody like um, you know Benjamin Mendy, you know, at left back, if and when he. He goes it's you know he's he's going to be very very difficult to to replace i think personally i think you know they did so well over the last uh, two years in signing sort of the creme de la creme of you know the young talent other in other french football clubs you know you look at sidibe amende last year you look at uh, lamar the year before etc um and they could easily replicate that uh, you know pick up players with at you know 50 and above uh, league one appearances 
you know, so you're looking at... I mean, they're already doing that. I mean, they picked yeah. up Gaspar already this summer. Yeah. yeah good pick so, up. you know, players we experience, for example, Koshi is in his final season at Lille. I think I always thought he'd be a very reliable buy. Uh, if they picked up Marseille, who went to Lyon, um, that also would be very, very interesting. You have Rongier and Nantes. Um, and, you know, just, you know, the list goes on of really, really talented, interesting players that would obviously benefit from sort of the atmosphere and the training that Monaco have put into these players and the exposure that they have to Champions League uh, football. Um, that, you know, and obviously, obviously very, very affordable. So I thought, you know, the way that Campos managed those signings, you know, if they did replicate those, maybe perhaps this season, obviously, you know, like you mentioned, they did buy uh, Gaspar. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, other, yeah. the other one to bear in mind is Suelio Mete. I mean, I know course, people perhaps yeah. don't bear in mind as a, as a league and signing, but he was only in loan at Zoltevar again. So, you know, Campos mm. might have actually done Monaco a favour there by allowing him to leave and, and join Monaco. Yeah, very strange, wasn't it? In the partner club of Lille. Yeah, well, it seems yeah, like Lille are making a lot of changes though this summer. So, you know, that might all be part of uh, Bielsa's plan. There's a lot of players who surprisingly are not, don't seem to be part of his plan, you know, even down to goalkeeper Vanson Enyema. So I'm sure we'll get to that later then. Yeah. Right, well, that's actually, that was the perfect transition for me because I was about to ask, to, I was about to talk about Lille. Um, there's the talk of Bielsa freezing out 11 players, including exactly Enyema. Um, Which is disgraceful. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you some time on that in a bit. <laughs> They're linked, uh, and they're also linked to players like Beltri. And you know, as you said, they've been reforming a lot of the of the backroom staff. And it seems like Bielsa is putting his his system into work. And I'm a personal fan of Bielsa, so um, I'm I, you know I'm excited to see how this pans out because it's a, it seems like starting despite, from zero despite, in a way. Despite your tender years, there are already quite a few likenesses. You know, you, you look a bit like Bielsa already. <laughs> You're cultivating the image. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe in a few years, that's a that's a. It's got, to, it's got to be the glasses and the tracksuit. Yeah. yeah, the glasses, the tracksuit does it for every every coach, to be honest. Now, nah, but um, the, the the Bielsa project is it, it feels like he's starting from zero in a way because Lille aren't exactly the most prestigious uh, club, and their start to the season last season was, I mean, about as close to dismal as you can get. It was completely and utterly ridiculous how how far they stooped down. Um, so he he really has to you know reshape everything in the club from top to bottom including maybe in Yama, which is why I'll let you talk about that, John, because you seem really, uh, let's put it this way, uh, interested in that Sega. Yeah, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a shame really for a goalkeeper of his uh, ability and stature, you know, somebody who's well-respected within the game. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's had the opportunity the last couple of seasons to move on from Lille. Um, okay, you know, being a goalkeeper, not being that, heralded um, within Europe despite the fact that you know he he's seemingly been around for ages and ages and is proven as a very talented keeper I just think yeah it's a, sh it's a shame to see him frozen out without really being uh, given a chance but you know it wouldn't be a Bielsa project without uh, you know some controversial decisions so you know I guess that'll just have to be one of them but it would be a shame if uh, you know and any armor, you know, spent sort of longer than uh, just a couple of weeks, you know, sort of training and playing with the reserves because, you know, he is a, a fantastic goalkeeper, um, you know, and I think that he, it's a shame for him that he played in a, in a he's played in a struggling little team for the last couple of seasons because, uh, you know, I think the player himself, uh, you know, overall in his time in Ligue 1 has proven that he, you know, deserved to be you know, playing for a side, you know, that was really challenging up there because, you know, for, for me, he's long been one of the most talented players that Lille have. He's a very, very good uh, shot stopper. And I think that 
any league on side looking for a keeper this summer. I mean, Nantes, for example, you know, would do very well to pick him up. Me personally, I'm I obviously also a big fan of Bielsa, and you know, I, I think when you take him on as a coach, you kind of expect him to sort of tear down sort of the blueprint that's already been in place and start fresh. But I do agree with John in terms of sort of the treatment of perhaps one or two players. I mean, it's it's understandable with someone yeah. like uh, Marvin Martin, but like <laughs> yeah, with Yema, who's been obviously, I think, a stalwart in obviously French football and has been very, very talented. Uh, and also, you know, his performances in a couple of games over the past seasons have been absolutely amazing. So, you know, I, I do think it's very. But again, Lille's losses obviously another club's game. Um, but one thing I'm just a bit worried about Lille, you know, in terms of their approach to the transfer market is that. Complaints by uh, current players um, in January when the first sort of tranche of transfers uh, were completed. Um, you had loans, you know, the Dutch players Kishner and El Ghazi and Ezeka from Port- Portugal and players as well. And you know, it took them ages to gel together. And they did sort of go down before they went, you know, before they ascended up the table again. And I think that's a worry. Um, and because obviously they're going to be signing, I guess, a lot of players because of the fact they've got a whole other team in the reserves uh, at the moment. So, you know, just how positive will that be for, for the club? You know, Bielsa definitely has got his work cut out. And sort of the, the sort of level of players that they're signing, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really a huge watcher of Brazilian football, so I won't make, you know, sweeping judgments. But, you know, it, I think, you know, it's safe to say that these players that they signed, Luis Araujo and Thiago Mendes, etc., they will take some time. No, I think I think you've got to bear in mind that it did take the DNCG a long time to like to to, yeah. to locate the budget, so they haven't been able to move, uh, you know, for for quite a few of their targets. I'm sure that they're going to mm. speed up now. Uh, but yeah, again, at the same time, you know, the way that they poached uh, Fodi Balotelli as well from from PSG was a bit un, unlike Lille, really. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, very, very interesting. I think the one, obviously, the one player that stands up for Sheko, who seemed to be very, very uh, interesting uh, in midfield uh, for Lille when they signed, when they signed uh, a couple of couple of weeks ago, and um, oh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, and they've made his uh, transfer permanent, and he seems to be one that you know that looks to be sort of a first team starter going going forward. Uh, I, I just, you know, I'm just. Not not very enthused about sort of what direction is going. Also, sort of. I think the signing the whole, of the of Pepe yeah. though is quite quite exciting. Yeah, he's yeah, looked I mean, you know, very good for yeah. for Angers. But yeah, one player doesn't make a team, of especially course. when especially I mean, when Bielsa is your coach. Absolutely, I mean, especially with Nico, Nicolas Pepe as well. I'm just not, you know, obviously a couple of Premier League clubs are interested, but in terms of what he brings to the table, I, I seem to kind of think that you know, apart from skill and limited sort of technical ability, there's really not much else. Uh, but that's obviously my own sort of personal. I think opinion. there's potential there, then. That's why I think it's a it's mm. a good fit for him at Lille because he's not going to yeah, be I mean, he's not going to be in a title challenging team immediately. Well, at least on paper, going into the season, Lille are not going to be title challengers. Who knows? I think you know the same was said about you guys with when Bielsa took over and then yeah, you know ran. But, but then again, yeah, I think we had a much closer than they wanted to. I, be. I think on paper we had a much better team than Lille have at the moment, um, and sort of it is it is sort of. It's more about with Bielsa, it's more about the collective rather than individual. So, you know, from, as it stands, you know, on the 5th of July, there's still, you know, a lot of pieces of the jigsaw still missing. 
but obviously, you know, as the month goes on and we don't have any European commitments, you know, we'll kind of see sort of what transpires. But just the whole, there's probably an argument that's left for another day, but the whole sort of funding model, you know, Camp, uh, Luis Campos and uh, Gerard Lopez as well, the fact that, you know, it's more for, they're just, you know, almost exclusively looking at players that they can sell for, they can buy for under 10 million euros and sell them hopefully for, for double the price sort of an investment model. It just seems a bit to me like a, a football club on stilts almost. Um, so yeah, I mean, with Lil, it's just a big question mark for me. Right. Well, um, I guess we'll we'll move on to the, the last little bits here. Uh, there's uh, there's not who you could look at it both ways. You could say it's an interesting project. You could say it's a bit strange. I mean, well, it's definitely Ranieri, become a bit more, it's, a bit more interesting now. Ranieri's there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what I was about to say with Ranieri. It's uh, it, it certainly puts a bit of spice on it. But can Ranieri, you know, still harvest that that uh, that ability at uh, Leicester, which especially was his ability to motivate the players, which is something that maybe is an advantage to not who had a somewhat ambitious project before he came. Yeah, I mean, I think the big question mark is going to be how much money he's going to be able to spend and how many players Nantes are going to have to lose in order for him to have, you know, a bit of cash to sort of play with and bring in the kind of characters that he wants in order for, you know, his words to be heard by the team and, you know, and for them to sort of put that into action on the pitch. I mean, we've known for a long, long time Nantes have a very good youth academy. They produce some fantastic young players. Uh, you know, I know that Rangier is, uh, is, is in demand at the moment, so hopefully they manage to keep hold of him. I know they're not keen to sell him at this moment in time, but... Uh, you know, who knows if, if Ranieri wants to, you know, sort of finance like two or three signings. Uh, you know, he might be a player that has to be sacrificed, although I think that the norm will really try to fight hard to, to keep hold of him. Um, you know, they... You know, the, the, the academy is always going to produce some, uh, some, some very talented players, so maybe Ranieri yeah. is already aware of the, the most um, gifted, uh, you know, and, and then we'll, you know, perhaps sort of um, move, move from there, add a couple of... Um, players in like particularly in goal if you can get you know somebody uh, experienced and uh, and a bit more reliable than uh, than Ryu has been in the last couple of seasons you know I'm sure he'll do that um you know and there's there's, there's potential money to be made as well to create um you know to create quite a quite a good budget there as well I mean you uh, you know you've got the uh, the likes of Guillaume Gillet who's probably going to be moved on I'm sure that you know in terms of the club he was earning quite a fair bit of money um uh, I mean, height as well. You know, he'll be he'll be moving on. So there is going to be money for Ranieri to spend. I just think there's certain areas in that squad that he really needs to look at because you know when Emiliano Sala is you know sort of leading your attack and your main source of goals, it's a bit yeah. it's a bit worrying. And I can't see Ranieri having a Leicester-like miracle with uh, Sala <laughs> you know, being, being the key figure. Wow. Well, that's yeah. um. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Just yeah, with, with John, I totally agree. I mean, I just think they've lost. A really interesting coaching uh, Consal, uh last season because I thought they were a very very crap team before he he arrived. You know, just the fact they were just so Un understatement. Of, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, is, it is an understatement. But just I mean, I guess I don't know how you know sort of <laughs> we're allowed to you know be creative with our language here. But um, it, yeah, they're just so devoid of you know sort of attacking talent and sort of the play was so disjointed when Rene Girard was. Was at the helm, and the fact that obviously Constantin had very, very limited sort of maneuvering transfer market in January, and the fact that they they transformed themselves from you know rooted in the relegation zone to I think they finished seventh um, was just a minor miracle. So with limited funds again this summer, 
um, it would have been really interesting to see, you know, sort of where they were. And I think Nantes would have done well to sort of maintain themselves in the top half of the table uh, going forward. But, you know, again, he's not here. He's gone to Porto. And uh, Ranieri is a, is a fantastic coach. Um, but it's, I think, it's a bit too far to sort of think that, oh, yeah, he, you know, we've got a renowned coach who obviously led Leicester to the Premier League So, therefore, we expect, you know, a, you know, European League qualification or, you know, finishing... Yeah, at least better in Costa Sal's uh, result. Um, but again, that depends on World Marquita and um, it depends on sort of the, the, the money um, that he, he gives he gives Nantes. But I think that that team is in need of, of a little bit of an overhaul. But again, I think it's one of those scenarios where you're going to have to sell first before you can sort of generate any sort of transfer budget, which is, you know, a sort of catch-22 situation for, for Ranieri. Plus, uh, yeah, it's not exactly the, the biggest uh, cash budget in compared. I mean, even compared to Leicester, which isn't a very large, extravagant budget in England, it's quite feeble here in France. Um, mm. So, I mean, that's 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 tough times for two man. Well, tough times. It's a tough situation for two managers there, Pils and uh, Ranieri. But um, I guess if we look at the the final few teams in France, we can have a look at this. Is an interesting question which we can spend a bit more time on. Uh, somebody asked me this, and I was completely stumped which was, who needs a better transfer window, Nice or Lyon? Because you could arguably say that if Nice didn't have as much luck last season, them and Lyon were about the same level. And Nice might run out of luck next season, and Lyon have already started selling all of their best players. I mean, Lacazette was confirmed today, Dolisso left the other day, and uh, I mean, Fikir has always loved injury, and he might be sold one day. So is, who, 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 needs the better, who needs the better transfer window? Who will do worse or better next season? I think Lyon are under more pressure to have a, a better transfer window, you know, because they've already been shown up by, you know, teams like Nice who perform much better than them. Um, and they now have a lot of money to play with. Yes, they've lost a lot of players, so the squad is obviously weaker, but they have the ability to strengthen and strengthen properly if they choose to. The problem with Lyon in the last couple of seasons has never been the players that come through the youth academy, because we know that Lyon's youth academy is, you know, is, is second to none in, in France in terms of producing the talent, bringing it through to the first team, uh, you know, and then ultimately selling it on. But their their investment in the last couple of years has been absolutely appalling. Uh, you know the the transfer policy has has very rarely shown up. Um, you know some real gems, and okay, it might take a couple of players. You know a, an extended period of time to bed in. You know I'm thinking of the likes of Mamana, for example. You know he could come good next season, um, but you know. It took Valbuena a long, long time to look like a, a half decent signing for Leon, and now he's already been moved on. Uh, bigger questions over Leon now that they have a, a, a good amount of money to spend, and then there are over Nice because at the end of the day, you know, Nice have uh, were punching above their weight last season, uh, and know that that you know they'll be expected to punch above their weight again this season. Um, uh, Jean-Pierre River, the, the president, has been very clear that there isn't that much money to spend because Nice are being intelligent. They're looking at the the Champions League qualification and knowing that <clears throat> they might not get into the, the group stages. So there's no point uh, spending money as if they're already in the group stages because it could undo all of their hard work over the last couple of seasons. Uh, you know, if they go and uh, blow some money, sort of like Leon-esque on Johan Goku all those years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with, uh, with everything John said. Obviously, I think... It goes without saying that Leon are hugely under pressure to sort of um, 
have have a, have a really good transfer and I don't think there's any indication that they will spend crazy amounts of money to replace um, you know the really really good players that have left. It pays me to say a little bit, but they are they are really really good players. You have you know Umtiti that went 12 months ago, who was uh, you know huge potential, who had huge potential. Um, Lacazette who has been uh, central to the club's you know good performances over the last three seasons. Um, Toliso, you know, again, these if you just look, you just need to look at sort of uh, the clubs that these players have gone to to show you know, how successful Leon have been in sort of general, you know, raising the levels of these young players. Uh, I think as well to lose yeah. three academy graduates in the same summer in Toliso, Gonalons, and Lacazette is going to yeah. be a big, big blow. And then you have Valbuena who's gone, who uh, you know did, you know did incredibly well sort of over the winter and throughout the second half of the season. And just, you know, who's going to replace them? I think with Leon, that midfield now looks ridiculously light. Um, you know, you have Grenier and Ferry who have uh, not really, not on a high level anymore. Um, the defence, you've got three players at left back, but you, I think Leon are in desperate need of a really good centre-back as well. Um, to partner sort of the Akabi or Nkulu. Um, oh, like I said, though, Mamana could turn out to be yeah. that. It's just, you know, delayed, delayed impact. That, that, it could, to be, it could be, yeah. To be but fair, it, yeah. right, carry on. No, I just, you know, think that the, you're absolutely right in terms of what Mamana can do, but I think they just need to cut the deadwood first on the back, you know, sort of. They're, they're, they, they are heavy in, uh, in positions where they don't need to recruit and they're light in positions where there's obviously a pressing need. Uh, for you know, I think they're absolutely crazy to think that Mariano um, and Traore will be sort of the fulcrum of the attack, and that's it. You know, I think they do need to add in. True, I think they definitely, definitely, yeah, they definitely need more experience. But I would say that um, on the face of the business that they've done so far, I think Traore is an exciting signing. I think Marcal is a really underrated piece of business. I think that was a really good move, and Fer- um, Ferlon Mendy as well. You know, that's another good pickup from them. So there are signs that they may well spend this money. Uh, quite wisely it's just a question of sort of how much more um, domestic talent or good value for money they can find uh, you know elsewhere in Europe now that other European clubs know they have a lot of money to spend after they sold Toliso uh, you know Gonalons Valbuena and Lacazette yeah I mean I'm just I'm just a little bit worried that I think Lyon uh, might go down the route of sort of Arsenal 10 years ago sort of the fact that they do now own their stadium and obviously there's debts to pay on the stadium and that Lacazette jumping from the French Arsenal to the real Arsenal. Exactly. So yeah, Man City in a couple of years' yeah. time. Um, yeah, so like the fact that they've amassed you know, a sort of a three-figure, uh, sort of sorry, a, 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 uh, more than 100 million euros, um, the transfer balance now that they might just direct some of that into sort of a club's account or sort to of pay off the stadium to make it look like you know the, you know the club's accounts are in the black or or whatnot because obviously there's a pressing pressing need for the uh, playing squad at the moment because there doesn't seem to be any sort of urgency at, at this moment in time to replace Tolisso. So the club have, re, re, uh, you know, bought back uh, Clement Grenier and, you know, it doesn't look to me that that's it. As well as up front, you know, they do have very, very interesting players. They've signed, you know, wonderful young talents and also, you know, uh, you know just, it's just, it's just, you know, a bit crazy to me the fact that they're not going to well, it doesn't look appear at this moment they're going to press ahead. All that has been speaking in the last couple of weeks, you know, sort of, we don't need to go crazy. We're just going to have a look at sort of what opportunities are there. And if there aren't, you know, we're sort of happy with the squad that we have. We'll push forward that way. You know, they've got 
about 50, 55 games to look forward to next season. You're in the Europa League as well, which is not easy. Uh, you know, and as well as that, they haven't got a competent coach as well. So I think it's it's a it's a uh, critical juncture for Leon this summer. In terms of Nice, I think Nice have, will always be um, punching above their weight. Sort of, they have qualified for the Champions League, but they're still not you know going crazy in terms of their budget. The budget remains more or less near the same amount that they were at last season, which is why they refused to re-sign Hatem Benafa. They thought, you know, we don't have the funds to go crazy. We'll just focus on Mario Balotelli and you know that we use that Champions League money on sort of picking up uh, interesting signings on players that have left. Um, and if you know, I don't think they're obviously going to finish in top three next season, but you know, that is their level. And if Leon don't sort of you know, sort of hit back and claim that Champions League support because Monaco look like they're going to be strengthening, they're, they're you know, they're looking to be very, very smart. PSG were obviously very wounded last season, they're going to be you know, at their best, hopefully at their maximum to sort of get those marquee signings and reclaim the title and hopefully get, get you know, go one better in the Champions League. And obviously, Marseille. Uh, hopefully they'll wake up from their slumber and sign, you know, sort of the big names. And don't don't, don't, get, don't get your hopes up too. Much. <laughs> hopefully, and win the whole thing next next season. Hopefully, but um, yeah. So you know, you've got three or four players, and Lille obviously have a clear idea of where they want to be as well. Bordeaux, you know, it's a club that we haven't mentioned tonight, but they seem to be doing very interesting things in the market as well, and they've obviously finished strongly. So Lyon are in danger of, you know, screw this one up. They're in danger of actually going two steps back. All right. Well, um, I guess uh, it's about time to wrap up. So uh, there's this uh, in the sort of conclusion, we could say in France, there's a lot of projects, a lot of rebuilding, a lot of uh, new faces that might be necessary in certain clubs. I want to thank both of you uh, for taking part. It was a great podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Right. Well, um, and thanks everyone who listened, and you can find our podcast on iTunes and YouTube as usual. And uh, I guess, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening with. Bye.